We're going to continue today on our series of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Church number two, Smyrna. Now, here in about a month, 39 days, who's counting? I'm going to a little place called New Smyrna, a beach. But we're not talking about that today. Uh, Amy gets aggravated because I oftentimes call it Smyrna. I don't know why. Bad habits start. If I do that, I'm sorry. Smyrna. Smyrna. How you say that, Eddie? Smyrna. Smyrna. All right. Uh, and we're going to talk about the original Smyrna today. Uh, the one over in Asia. This city was called... Hey. You already missed the... Yeah. Come on. Stay with me today. You guys all right back there? Okay. <laughs> I love those guys. Most of the time. Um, <laughs> anyways. the Go back to the beach one. I'm going to look at that one more time. Uh, okay. Now I'll go with the real one. Now look, these are some ruins. These are some people doing a tour through some of the ruins. But this city was, they say, magnificent uh, back in the day of that, uh, that first era, the, the, the first church that was there. It was called uh, an ornament. I believe the ornament of the east or uh, the crown flower of Asia. Uh, Smyrna was a magnificent city. It was a city of loyalists. It had actually uh, started to kind of collapse, to decline. And then Rome, uh, with the rise of Rome, uh, Smyrna was uh, very loyal to Rome. And um, therefore, they were getting some stuff. They were building some things. They had a lot of peace, but a lot of uh, riches. and can, of course, bring a lot of sin. Uh, so loyalists to Rome. But it was beautiful, physically beautiful. Um, there was temples. A lot of temples, temples to Zeus and a number of other false gods. They were a city that you, you would consider cultured, uh, rich. They loved their sports, uh, again, their culture, their art, their knowledge. They loved all that stuff. I could go on and on about how great this city must have been. Here's the problem, though. They hated Christians. Hated didn't want them around, didn't believe, thought they were troublemakers. And because of that, this church, the church in Smyrna, the second church talked about in Revelation, they're going to have some difficulties, some real problems, some real issues. But as we go forward today, when you think about it, really, let's never make a mistake Christian life can have difficulties. You know, we could take out a two words right there. We could take out Christian and we could take out can. We could take out both or one or the other. Life can have difficulties. Life does have difficulties. Well, you can't really take out can because then it doesn't fit. But you get what I'm saying. Christian life can and will have difficulties. It's not always easy. It's not always. But whenever we're really able to reflect on Christ, like we talked about a minute ago, really able to say, I'm putting my focus on him, then those difficulties 
seem to get less and less. Maybe they're not, really, though. Maybe it's just we don't acknowledge them as much. We don't let them bother us as much. We don't consider them difficulties as much because we know what truly matters. Let's look at some of the Scripture. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 through 11 is where we're going to be today. Right now, uh, just uh, getting right into verse 8 there, about the middle of it, and 9 is what it says. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who is dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan? Wow. But here's this church. Amongst all this, here's this church serving God. And who's this message from? The first and the last, the beginning and the end. It's from God. It's from Jesus. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago. So what does this first part tell us? Jesus knows you personally. And last week, uh, we, we talked about God knows us, loves us, strengthens us. The, the theme we had learned from VBS, very first night, God knows me. Jesus knows us personally. Now think about that for a second, because the Lord really does know us. And he knows if we've got dental problems. He knows the number of hairs on our head, like we talked about last week. All those physical things aside, I don't think that Jesus loved me any less if I had bad teeth or less hair. He knows us personally what's inside. He knows all about us. And that's awesome, but it's also scary. That means he knows everything about me. Wow. But the three things I wanted to focus on with that are suffering, poverty, and slander. We'll start with suffering. Now it's, it's just kind of a matter of this church. They're trying to serve God while facing hatred. Anybody else ever have that happen? Probably not to this level. Probably not to this level. But yet, hatred, sin, temptation, things are going to pull us away from that focus on God. We've all got that. And maybe that's part of our suffering. God knows, the Lord knows, what kind of sufferings that each of us have individual. The distress that we have, physical ailments, the mind. The Lord knows what you're thinking and what you're suffering. If you go to the doctor because you have an addiction to pain pills and you say, I'm hurting, and you convince the doctor and you even convince yourself that you're hurting. The Lord knows if you really are or not. He knows what your afflictions are. No matter what it may be, you can't hide it from him. He knows the things that cause you grief. Now, not just your sin, right, with the affliction and the grief. He knows, he knows the things in your life that hurt your feelings. He understands. He sympathizes. 
He knows the pressures and the stress. Has anybody else here ever, has anybody else here ever struggled with the pressure of life, with stress, whether it's church, work, family, school, whatever? Has anybody else ever struggled with that? Has anybody else ever allowed pressure or stress to allow you to forget what your focus should be? It's not just me, is it? The Lord knows. He knows our pressure, our stress, our suffering. He sympathizes with us. But just like this church in Smyrna, that's how we've got to be. We've got to be able to keep on keeping on. We've got to be able to keep that focus. No matter what the pressure, stress, grief, affliction, or no matter what kind of physical or or mental ailments you may have, we've got to put those sufferings aside and try to focus on serving God. Easier said than done, some of you just thought in your head. Easier said than done, Brother Mikey. And of course, I respond to that with, yes, you can. Yes, you can. But we've got to keep trying. And we have those moments when we reflect, when we come around the Lord's table. That's where we've got to have those reminders that no matter what suffering we may have, it doesn't match up. Because you know what the sin in our lives give us? What does it make us deserve? Distress, affliction, grief, pressure, stress. But through Christ's suffering, we don't have to do that. And this church, as much as they suffered because of the persecution that they were facing, they didn't have a choice in that matter. But you know what? I don't think they let it bother them. Because they were going to serve God. Next, we said poverty. The Lord knows your poverty. He knows how much money you got. He knows how poor you truly are spiritually. Has anybody ever tried to pour mouth it when you didn't want to do something? I, don't, I can't do that. I don't have enough money. I can't afford it. But really, you knew you could. He knows. He knows that about us. And he knows the difficulties that we're going to have through poverty. Two types of poverty. Just enough to get by. I'm poor, but I've just got enough to get by. That was not what the people of Smyrna were experiencing. They were experiencing number two. Not enough for even one day. Look, the people didn't like the Christians. Now, that didn't mean they never had any converts. They certainly did. That didn't mean that they weren't still trying. They certainly were. But the majority of the people in this very large community did not like the Christians. So guess who they didn't support? Christians. That's a Christian business. We're not going there. And we think we've got it bad. That's the kind of poverty that they were dealing with. Real, true poverty where they faced hunger. But what did they do? They didn't roll over and die. Christian life can have difficulties, they said. We've got work to do. And we've got an attitude to show and actions to take to serve Christ. 
Finally, they dealt with slander or blasphemy. False reports. Christians, they were being accused of very horrible things. I didn't put this up there, but I got a list for you of some of the things that the people of Smyrna said about the Christians. Now think about this for a second. Because to us, it's going to seem real silly. But to them, it sure didn't. The Christians were accused of, because of their Lord's Supper, because of communion, they were accused of making these things love feasts. Just like that church in Corinth, eating too much, drinking too much, losing their focus. This one, because of communion, partaking of the Lord's Supper, the body, the blood... They were accused of being cannibals. People that eat people. Think about that. To us, it's like, wait a minute, that's not. Do this in remembrance of me. Partake of these emblems. But what about someone who had never heard of Jesus? What about the people of Smyrna who had never heard of this stuff? And now we're talking about the Lord's Supper, the body and the blood. And that's all they hear. Rumors get started and rumors spread. And they can really turn ugly. And you can imagine how in this early church, how this rumor must have started amongst the non-Christians about the Lord's Supper. I was watching uh, Andy Griffith uh, last Sunday. Anybody else ever still watch Andy Griffith besides me and my family? The Coopers do. We talk about it all the time. It's great. And uh, they had a, the episode uh, about the rumors. And there was probably a dozen of those uh, Aunt B and them had started a rumor about Barney who had scratched his finger, and before you knew it, what? Barney had died. And Barney got the report like, wait a minute, I just scratched my finger. Well, that's kind of how it would have been in Smyrna when they started talking about the Lord's Supper. Awful, horrible things they're saying about the Christians. They're accused of being homebreakers. Because if someone accepted Jesus and someone else's spouse left them because of that, they were accused, uh, get this, of being atheists. Like, what? What do you mean they're accused of being atheists? Of course, they believed in God and Jesus. But the people of Smyrna believed in false gods. So when the Christians are saying, we don't believe in, in Zeus and in Jupiter, and in, uh, we don't believe that Caesar is God. Now they're looking at the Christians and saying, non-believers. Atheist. They don't even believe in these obvious things. That's what the people of Smyrna were saying. They were accused of being uh, fortune tellers. Like, wait, Christians being fortune tellers? What? We don't do that kind of stuff. But we do share the prophecy that Jesus will one day return. And to the people of Smyrna, that meant these people were fortune tellers. All blasphemous, false reports. We don't, we're not cannibals. This isn't a love feast. We're not home breakers. We certainly believe in the one true God. And we aren't telling fortunes. We're telling facts of what will come one day. That's what we believe in. And that's what we stand by. But yet here is what the people of Smyrna had to deal with. But Jesus said to them, I know what you're going through. I know the slander. I know the poverty. I know the suffering and the afflictions that you have. And you're actually rich. Of all these things, and the Lord says, you're actually rich. 
See, what's the most valuable thing that we can have in our lives? Godly character. That fruit of the Spirit. I didn't put a blank on there for this one, but I want you to write that in if you've got room. True wealth is the possession of godly character. If we are showing our faith in action and attitude, every single day, we've got that fruit of the Spirit. We're doing our best to show that love, to be forgiving people, because we recognize that we need that forgiveness too. And godly character is what we truly, truly need, and that's what's going to make us rich beyond any kind of suffering or poverty or slander that might come upon us. I think we got to thank God for that. Because without Him, obviously we're nothing. So therefore, we must behave with that action, with that attitude, all the time. How important is that? Extremely. Enthusiasm is contagious, is what Coy said. Mike, good job. You did have some enthusiasm this morning. I appreciate that. I needed it at first. Let me tell you, I needed it. And I thought, yeah, that's what we need right now, enthusiasm, because we've got a reason to rejoice. Because the slander, poverty, and uh, suffering shouldn't affect us because we've got godly character. We've got the Lord. That's the kind of enthusiasm church that we must have. If you want to see this place fill up with people, we have to have enthusiasm. We got to keep it real. We got to let people know the word of God. But if you're not excited about the word of God, how can we expect the guy walking up the street that's not in church today to be? We've got to have that enthusiasm that, that says, you know what? Jesus knows us personally. Christian life can have difficulties, but I'm not going to let it stop me. And I'm not going to go forward with any uncertainties about where my heart belongs. But, however, Christian life can and will have uncertainties. What are you going to do? Which way are you going to go? Now, maybe sometimes an uncertainty to you might not be as uncertain to someone else. But there's real issues in the world. There's real problems that, that Christians face every day, that Christian leaders face. Sometimes they're tough. Sometimes we really got to look into the scripture and really support each other to know what we should do. Sometimes it's easier. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison and test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. That permanent crown. The one that lasts forever. Yeah, that's awesome. There's no doubt about that. What's he saying to us, though? We are going to suffer. This church was going to suffer. Do you know that back then, if they came up to you and said, if a, if a resident of Smyrna came up to you and said, you got to go hail Caesar right now and, and say that he is God, that he is a deity, and you didn't do it, you know what they could do? Throw you in jail. Throw you in jail. I'm guessing maybe for a 10-day period. They could put you and they could lock you up. And they most certainly had that happen to them, those Christians did. And what happens, though, if they come up and they say, you got to admit that, that, that Caesar's actually God. You know what? That Holy Spirit that lives inside of them weren't going to let them do it. And they wouldn't have even considered it. 
That's the kind of confidence that we got to have with our faith. Holy Spirit will be there for you. If that time ever comes, and I pray that it does not, that we can be certain of. But what are they dealing with now? Uncertainties about when that will happen, about how that will happen. What are Christians? What are we uncertain about? Now, listen. There's so many things you could have filled in here besides respond. Christians are uncertain about how the world will what? And about how, which direction the world will go. You know, there's that school of thought that the world's going to only, only get worse and worse and worse. And then there's the other school of thought that the world's going to get better and better before Christ comes back. Now listen, to me, it doesn't matter. Because our job as Christians remains the same. Reach people. Behave. Actions. Attitude. But what's our biggest uncertainty? We talked about this in Sunday school a little bit this morning with the kids. What's our biggest uncertainty is how the world will respond to us. You know, I told our kids today in the third, fourth grade class that we got to make people feel welcome when they come into church. Even kids. You, if you see a new adult in the church, maybe you don't want to go up and talk to them. That's fine. But what if they have a kid with them? That's our kids' responsibility. Guys, I know you all are out here today, and that's why I want to talk about this. If you see a new person in church that's your age, go talk to them. This is your comfort zone. This is where you go to church. Make them feel welcome. Tell them your name. Ask them theirs. That's what we try to do as adults, and that's what we need to teach you guys right now. Now, why would you be afraid of that? Because you're afraid of how they're going to respond. Maybe that person won't like me. Maybe they'll think I'm a dork. Maybe, 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 maybe. Or maybe that's just what that person needed that day. How is the world going to respond to us? Probably negatively right now. Let's face it. We all know that it's the way the direction is going. But you know what? We won't know unless we try. We have got to reach out more and more every single day, and not just to Hartford, but the entire world with our faith. We might not be certain how the world will respond, but we can be certain that the Lord wants us to try. Enthusiasm is contagious. I'm going to be thinking about that all day. Regardless of how the world will respond, the church is going to face difficulties. Just like the church in Smyrna, we're going to have daily struggles. There's going to be legal issues and individual persecution. Yeah, I mean, the church, yeah, there's legal issues nowadays. Things change. We've got to make sure that we have our bases covered. There's windows in every classroom back there because that's the right thing to do in today's day and age. Legal issues are what church leaders face that you all don't even know about sometimes. But when it all comes back down to it, regardless of what our country may say, where our law comes from is through his word and through his word alone. So what daily struggles do you have as individuals? What persecution do you face? Nothing compared to the church in Smyrna. And if they can do it, by golly, we can too. Because what they faced was death was torture, was getting thrown to the lions, was being, being thrown out to a bunch of gladiators, even though the Christians are going to be unarmed. What they faced was hatred, was poverty, was hunger. We're not facing that here on that level. And I don't foresee us facing it anytime soon. And if they can go out with fear of death to tell people about Jesus, 
You better believe we can too. So in conclusion today, we know that Christian life can have difficulties. We know that it can have uncertainties. But you know what the great thing about it is? Is when we really put our focus on Jesus, those difficulties are less and less. And when we really trust in him, the thing that we are certain about the most, that matters the most, we have no uncertainties about. See, Christian life is victorious life. Yeah, we know that our faith and action and attitude is going to give us that victory. But it's the faith that matters. It's that belief in him, that obedience in him. That's going to give us that victorious life. That's going to give us that permanent crown. Awesome. Remember this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. I love this verse. I know you do too. Thank God. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a gift freely given, and now you have to accept it. Would you all please bow with me for a word of prayer? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for giving us victory through your Son. Lord, we ask that you will help us to not let the uncertainties in life drag us down or lead us astray. Lord, we ask that you will help us to not let life's difficulties cause us to turn away from you, but instead to turn to you once again and stay on that path even more firmly. Lord, help us to have the enthusiasm that we need as Christians. Lord, I ask right now that if there is anybody here today that is down, that has doubts, or that lacks enthusiasm for their faith in you, I ask, Lord, that you will strengthen them, that you will help us as a church family to build them up and to encourage them, and that you will bring that enthusiasm back to their heart. Lord, I ask right now if that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, who hasn't accepted you, who hasn't yet experienced that true Christian life that is victory, Lord, help the words that we've said, the songs that we've sang, the meditations that we've had, the conversations to lead them to you. Help our actions and our attitude that we should be showing them to make your love apparent. Lord, we know that our responsibility is a daily thing. We know that our responsibility is a majorly important thing in our lives every day. Help us to never neglect that, but instead to always be enthusiastic about working for you. Lord, we know that our enthusiasm comes through our victory. And we thank you, Jesus, for that which is why in his most precious name we do pray, amen.